Good morning, and Happy New Year. We're at the end of another year, and I, I hope you all had a good Christmas, and that uh, the celebrations were, were exciting and something to remember. And I look back at the year 2018, and many of you are doing that too, I suppose, and for some it's been a great year, for some maybe not so great. When I think of our family and what has happened in our family, there are the, the lows and the highs, of course, as, as with everybody else. We've lost some family members this year, uh, which was uh, sad. We've also had great times with family and friends. We've uh, had our first grandson get married and added a beautiful young lady to our family. So that was nice. Uh, we've also celebrated, Susie and I celebrated our 50th anniversary and a weekend away with our family. It was a highlight of the year as well. And our Christmas celebrations, of course. So there were a lot of blessings in the past year that we've enjoyed and that we we're thankful for. And now we look ahead to the year 2019. Don't forget to write 19 on your check next time you write a check. And... Uh, we wonder what the new year will bring, right? Sometimes we look forward with a little bit of apprehension. If, we have, if we've had a really good year this year, we think, well, next year can't possibly be that good. It's going to be worse. Or if we've had a really bad year, we're hoping for a better one. We're making... Somebody said that... Uh, I guess... It, it was a story I read that uh, this older gentleman, he met a young fellow one day and he says, what are you doing? And the young fellow thought it was a trick question. He didn't know how to answer him. He says, what do you, what do you mean? Well, he says, what are you doing? And the, and the young man says, no, well, I don't know, what? He says, the, the older man said to him, you're making memories. Make them good ones. So I hope that's going to be your new year. We're all on a journey, right? The Bible talks about life as being a journey. All of us are on a journey. We're, we're going forward because we can't go back. We can't turn back. Many times we read in Scripture of incidents where Jesus calls, whether, whether his people or individuals, he calls them to follow or to go ahead. And in Genesis chapter 14, we read God's orders through Moses to his people. They had just left Egypt. The enemy was behind them. The Red Sea was in front of them. Now what? And God says through Moses, tell the people to move forward, to go forward. That was the order. And God made a way. You know the story. And in Matthew chapter 4, we read the account of Jesus calling his disciples and how they left everything and followed him. When I think about that, leaving everything and following Jesus, as it was the case for these disciples, I have to, I have to think that it had to be a scary decision for them. Leave everything and follow Jesus. And they left everything, and they followed him. 
Fear of the unknown is natural, but we can trust God's plan. Someone has said, don't worry about the future. God is already there. And in Hebrews 11, we read also that Abraham called by God to go a place which he was to receive as an inheritance. He left, he set out, not knowing where he was going. That pretty much describes all of us in the new year, doesn't it? We don't know what the year ahead will bring. Abraham had a choice to make. He had to decide between the security of staying with the familiar or the uncertainty of moving ahead, moving forward. You and I don't know the long-term effects of most of the decisions that we make. I hate to tell you that, but that's the truth. We don't know the long-term effects of most of the decisions that we make. And so as we look forward to a new year, let's seek God's guidance as we make choices and as we take action and as we move ahead in this new year. I recently read this quote, Without God, life has no purpose, and without purpose, life has no meaning. As unsettling as the question is, we need to ask it. We need to ask ourselves, does my life have meaning? Or what is the direction of my life? Where am I headed? What is my purpose? Answering these questions honestly will go a long way in dictating our actions in the present and in the future. This morning I'd like for us to consider not so much our physical journey, but rather our spiritual journey. So maybe turn again to Philippians 3 that Vern read for us earlier. I'd like to zero in this morning on just three verses, verses 12 to 14 of Philippians chapter 3. Here Paul, I believe, gives us a glimpse into his spiritual journey. Excuse me. The first part of verse 12, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. We sense in those words um, Paul's feeling, I might call it feeling of discontent or dissatisfaction. If any man could boast of of his achievements, Paul certainly could. He had a right to do so. He had accomplished much. But he obviously knew that self-satisfaction is the death of progress. And in the Christian life especially, nothing is as deadly as self-satisfaction. In a secular sense, dissatisfaction is the mother of invention. Because man was dissatisfied with carrying and lifting heavy loads on his shoulders, he invented the wheel and the lever. And because he was tired of walking, he invented vehicles to ride in. And aren't we grateful for that? Dissatisfaction became the mother of invention. Paul says, not that I have already obtained it. I believe this is a statement of a great Christian who never permitted himself to be satisfied with his spiritual attainments. 
Paul knew that he hadn't arrived. He still had more spiritual heights to climb. He had no illusions about being a perfect Christian. So the question is, am I satisfied? Are you satisfied with your Christian life? Many Christians are self-satisfied because they compare their running with that of other Christians who might not be making great progress. Had Paul compared himself with others, he would have been tempted to be proud and would have had a right to do so. And perhaps he would have let up a bit. Why am I trying so hard? Look at all the others, right? Wearsby says he calls this a sanctified dissatisfaction. And this, dissa- this sanctified dissatisfaction is the first essential to progress in our Christian race. The mature Christian honestly evaluates himself and strives to do better. And so Paul says, verse 12, I press on, I press on, moving ahead spiritually was now his primary aim. In the second part of verse 13, this one thing I do, let's call this uh, priorities, or, or if you like, let's call it focus, focus or priorities. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where many things needing to be done demanded so much of your time and energy you just threw up your hands and did nothing instead? I hope your pre-Christmas days and weeks weren't like that. What do I do first? What do I leave undone? What is priority? Where do I focus? One thing, one thing, a phrase often used in Scripture I researched it a little bit. There's all kinds of places where the scripture uses that that phrase, one thing. Jesus tells the self-righteous rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, one thing you lack. And he tells busy Martha when she criticized her sister for not helping, one thing is needful, he says to her. He explains to Martha in Luke chapter 10. And the psalmist testifies in Psalm 27, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. The scriptures often refer or or use the picture of of athletics to describe the Christian life. And we know that an athlete doesn't succeed by trying to do everything. He succeeds by specializing. The winners are those who concentrate, who keep their eyes on the goal and let nothing distract them. And so I believe that Paul here in Philippians 3 had reduced the whole of, dis, or the whole of sanctification to the simple and clear goal of doing one thing, and that one thing was pursuing Christ-likeness. I believe that Paul, using this athletic metaphor here to describe his experience, is telling his hearers and us that we as believers are in a race. We're in a race toward a finish line. Am I focused? Are you focused? Do we allow ourselves to be distracted? I read about a guy, I've never owned a motorcycle, but I read about a guy who was taking a motorcycle riding course And uh, the instructor at one point says, was warning him about what he called 
target fixation. And he explained it this way. He says, you're coming, you're going down the highway at high speed on your motorcycle, and you come over a hill, and as you come over the hill, there's a moose in the middle of the highway. Harvey, experience that? <laughs> there's a moose in the middle of the highway. What do you do? You haven't got time to stop. You're going too fast. And the instructor told this young man, he said, do not fixate on the problem. Do not fixate your eyes on the moose. Fixate on, the, on a path around the obstacle and on the road ahead. Because where your eyes are looking, you are apt to go. That was his instruction. A good lesson there. What about forgetting what lies behind? That's the next part of verse 13. Forgetting what lies behind. That's maybe poor translation. In, to forget in Bible terminology does not mean to fail to remember. We may wish we could erase certain bad memories, but we can't. With this, what this expression, forget, means is in this case is to no longer be influenced by or affected by the past. Just an example to explain this a little further. When God promises in Hebrews 10, verse 17, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. There's the same word there, remember. He is not... God is not suggesting that he will conveniently have a bad memory. That's not God. So Paul is saying, I break the past by living for the future. I break the power of the past. We can't change the past, but we can change the meaning of the past. Too many of us are shackled by past memories, by regrets of the past but you can't run the race looking backward. Often our enemy will try to trip us up and use our past to do, that, to do so. Don't let the past hamper your efforts for God today and in the future. Someone has said, if there are no, re- no reserves and no retreats, there will be no regrets. Thirdly then, Last part of verse 13. Last part of verse 13. And reaching forward to what lies ahead. And reaching forward to what lies ahead. Warren Wisby writes, The unsaved person is controlled by the past, but the Christian running the race looks forward to the future. In Luke 9, 62, our call to worship that Vern read earlier, Jesus says, No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. What does Jesus want from us as his followers? Jesus wants total commitment, reaching forward. That's the direction, not backward. Luke chapter 17, Jesus teaches about the coming of the kingdom of God. And we find in verse 32 only three words, remember Lot's wife. 
referring, of course, to Genesis chapter 19 and the destruction of the city of Sodom and how God had ordered Lot's family to flee the city and not to look back. That's verse 17. And then verse 26, But his wife looked back and became a pillar of salt, unwilling to leave her past, holding on to pieces of her old life. On the later side, you've probably heard this story before. Excuse me for repeating it. Little Johnny in Sunday school was listening to his teacher relate this story of how Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt, and he got quite excited, and he said, Teacher, teacher, he says, one, one day last week, Mummy picked us up at school and was driving, home, driving us home from school, and she looked back, and she turned into a telephone pole. Number four, verse 14, I press on toward the goal. I press on toward the goal. We'll call that uh, resolve or determination. Like Eugene Peterson's paraphrase in the message, he says, he translates or paraphrases it this way, I'm often running and I'm not turning back. Intense endeavor is what we're looking at here. You don't become a winning athlete by watching sports on TV or reading books about athletics or even going to a game and cheering as loud as possible. You become a winning athlete by getting into the game and determining to win. If you want to play, practice. If you want to win, practice harder. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. I'd like to read that for you. I think you all know the scripture. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We, are, we do not struggle alone, and we are not the first to struggle with the problems we face. Others have run the race as well, and they have won. And as this scripture says, their witness stirs us to run and win also. We, could, might, we might say here, they're our cheering section. What an inspiring heritage we have. To live effectively, we must keep our eyes on Jesus. We will stumble if we look away from him to stare at ourselves or at our circumstances surrounding us. We should be running for Christ, not ourselves, and we must always keep him in sight. Wearsby, if I can quote Warren Wearsby again, he says, Wouldn't it be wonderful if Christians put as much determination into their spiritual life as they do their golfing or their fishing or their bowling? So don't get mad at me. I'm just quoting a wise man. 
As we, as we apply ourselves to the things of the spiritual life, God is able to mature us and strengthen us for the race. Toward what goal is the runner pressing with such spiritual determination? Verse 14, the last part. The prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Stuart Briscoe comments, It is an upward call because it originated up there where God reigns supreme. And it is an upward call because that is the direction it will take the believer. Let's live in the light of the upward call and not succumb to the downward drag. You've all seen pictures depicting the broad road and the narrow road, the broad road leading to destruction, the narrow road leading to eternal life. One such picture, I think, depicted it better than any that I've, that I've seen somewhere. The broad road comes from one side of the picture to the other, and there's a throng of people going in that direction. The narrow road starts at the other side of the page, and it winds its way right down the middle of the broad road in the opposite direction, and there's a few people struggling to make their way through the throng that's pressing and almost pushing them back. A good illustration a sad illustration in some ways. This world is not our home. We're only here temporarily. We all know that. The world is constantly pressuring us to put down roots and embrace the culture around us, but God's people must resist this attitude. We need to live with singleness of purpose focusing on the goal ahead, the upward call of God. And so as we look back, or look ahead, I should say, to a new year, let's remember that the year just gone cannot be recalled, its journey cannot be retraced, its mistakes cannot be undone, but we can go forward. In fact, we must go forward. We can't stand still. Let's set our aims high, Let's not be content with just average progress. Let's keep ourselves on track by sticking to God's word, remembering that thus saith the Lord is the final answer to every question. We're not journeying in the dark. Psalm 119, the theme of that psalm is the word of God. And in verse 105, the psalmist says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And this verse made me think of a song found in some of our older hymnals. I don't think it's in, our, in the book we're using here. But it is to f- familiar to most of us, especially the older ones probably. John Henry Newman penned the words to that song in the early 1800s. He was 33 years old at the time. He was on a boat returning from England, or returning to England, I should say, He was dangerously ill with a terrible fever. And when you read, research history of his life, you see that this man faced much adversity in his life. But this is the guy, this is the man that penned the words to the song I'm going to refer to. In February 1909, this song was sung by a group of trapped coal miners after two underground explosions trapped them near Durham, England. 30 of the 34 were later rescued. This song was also sung by Betsy Ten Boom 
the sister of Corrie ten Boom, and other women as they were led by the SS Guard to the concentration camp Ravensbrück during the Holocaust. And a lady by the name of Marion Wright sang the same song during a hymn-sing gathering on the Titanic shortly before the ocean liner struck an iceberg on April 1912, April 14. And again, British troops sang the same song before going into the trenches during the First World War with the sound of artillery fire in the distance. The song I'm referring to is Lead Kindly Light. Let's make the words of this song, I'll read it for you, let's make this our prayer for the year 2019. Lead kindly light amid the encircling gloom. Lead thou me on. The night is dark, and I am far from home. Lead thou me on. Keep thou my feet. I do not ask to see the distant scene. One step enough for me. I was not ever thus, nor prayed that thou shouldst lead me on. I love to choose and see my path. But now lead thou me on. I loved the garish day, and spite of fears, pride ruled my will. Remember not past years. So long thy power hath blessed me, sure it still will lead me on. O'er moor and fen, or crag and torrent, till the night is gone, and with the morn those angel faces smile, which I have loved long since and lost a while. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, this morning as we look forward to a new year for the encouragement your word is to us, challenging us to become people characterized by singleness of purpose. Forgive us where we have allowed our own ambitions, our secular pursuits, maybe our possessions, to sidetrack us from pressing on toward our eternal goal. May we commit ourselves this morning to live each day focused on you, reaching forward to what lies ahead and eternity in your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.